Matthew. We've been looking at the book of Matthew recently. It was written by St. Matthew. Where's he at? There he is. Okay. Matt's Gospel. Okay. Uh, Matthew was one of the original 12 disciples. Most of you know this. He was a tax collector by trade before becoming a follower of Jesus. And the central theme of the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament who was descended from Abraham through the line of David and who came to bring the kingdom of God to earth so that Jews and Gentiles could have peace with God through him. So last year uh, for Christmas, last year for Christmas, my daughter Cass, she got me a 23andMe DNA test. Are you all familiar with this? How many of you have done one of those DNA tests? A few of you. How many of you were surprised at your background? Okay, a few of us, a few of us. Uh, I would like to share with you mine, which is completely boring for you, but interesting to me. Uh, actually, my DNA test starts off extremely boring and predictable, but it ends in a way that is a little bit interesting. So I, wanna, I wanted to share this with you real quick. Uh, in my 23andMe DNA test, it says I'm 52.9% British and Irish. No surprise there. No surprise. I mean, most of us would, yeah, that's, you know, okay, you kind of look that. Uh, 27.8% French and German, absolutely. My grandmother grew up speaking German. She grew up speaking German until she was about seven years of age. Her parents were both uh, born in the Alsace-Lorraine area uh, between France and Germany. And so, uh, and I remember my great-grandmother living with my grandmother for a while, and I remember I never could understand what she was saying. It's because she was speaking German, <laughs> but I didn't know that as a little kid. So uh, that's, that's the kind of boring part of my, uh, of my uh, profile. I'm 0.8% Italian. That's why I love spaghetti, all right? Uh, I am 0.8% Iberian. That would be Spain and, and uh, Portugal, that part uh, of Europe. Uh, I am 0.7% Balkan. I am 0.4% Scandinavian, even though I can't spell it. And I, I am 13.6% uh, broadly Northwestern European, which means they really don't know what I am. I'm just some, some 2.3% broadly Southern European, 0.5% broadly European. That's the boring part. That's the 99.9% part of who I am. I am the other part, part 1% Sub-Saharan African. I am. I am. Uh, this is the part for me that's the most exciting, uh, and it's the part that makes me love Superstition by Stevie Wonder. Uh, <laughs> that's right. That's right. And, uh, and uh, rated, for those of you who are younger who've never listened to it, you need to Google it and listen to it today. Superstition by Stevie Wonder. It is fantastic, okay? Number 74 by Rolling Stone on the greatest songs of all time. Not a Christmas song, but a great song. Uh, but the other part of me that is quite interesting is this. I have what's called 299 Neanderthal variants. What that means is I'm part caveman, okay? I, I am more caveman than 84% of all people, and I am considerably more caveman than my wife is, if you look at hers, okay? We're, we're a little bit different that way. Uh, it, it's interesting when we read the Gospel of Matthew... We have kind of a natural interest, I think a lot of us do, maybe not all of us, but a lot of us have kind of a natural interest in our ancestry. You know, we're, we're interested in knowing where we're from. We're interested in knowing who are our ancestors. 
And it's, it's really interesting that when you read uh, the, the Gospel of Matthew, the first thing that Matthew does is he gives us uh, Jesus' 23andMe profile. That he begins, his, uh, he begins his Gospel by going through a genealogy. Now, most of the time when we're reading the Bible, a lot of us, anybody ever just kind of skim past the genealogy and not really look at it? <laughs> Okay, a few of you do. A few of you do. I, I have to admit, I do too. But there's something very, very interesting about this genealogy that says, Gary, you need to read this. You need to read this. You need to pay attention to it. And it, it's something that this is what I want to challenge you and encourage you to do, is to pull out your Bible, pull out your Bible as we read, and any time you see a person that's mentioned in an interesting way or you see something that stands out to you about how Matthew talks about that person, just put a little check mark by it. Just put a little check mark by it. Because if there's something that stands out to you, there's a reason why it does. And most likely, there's a very important reason why it does. What I'm going to do for us today is I'm going to read all of Matthew chapter 1. And then I want to come back and I want us to look at this and talk about it a little bit more. Matthew chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac, the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, uh, the father of Perez and Zerah, whose, whose mother was Tamar. Perez, the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Amenadab. Amenadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Obed, uh, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, did I skip one? Boaz, the father, which one on this? Uh, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah and Josiah, the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abihud, Abihud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihud, Elihud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Mathen, uh, Mathen, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Verse 17, verse 17. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. 
But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly, secretly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. I want you to do something. I want you to think about a question for a moment. I want you to kind of wrestle with this question of why, why does, does Matthew begin the gospel of Jesus by talking about this genealogy and what stands out to you? And so what I'd like you to do right now is take a few minutes, divide up in groups of three or four or whatever you're comfortable with, with people around you, and I want you to, to, to just kind of share with each other why do you think Matthew might begin his gospel with a genealogy And is there anything in the genealogy that stood out to you while we were looking at it, reading it this morning? If you can't think of anything, just mumble and pretend like you're talking to please me, all right? A few of you are cheating. You're pulling out your study Bibles. Actually, that's not cheating. It's a pretty good idea. Uh, Let's take a minute. Some of you, I see you're still talking. A few of you, you gave up talking shortly after we started. Uh, I want to take a a moment, and I want to hear from you. What were some of the thoughts that you heard in your group Uh, Why do you think Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy? And what are some things that stand out to you in this, this genealogy? Okay. 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 Right, right, right. Very good observation. Very, very good observation. Somebody else? Okay. So establish his legitimacy as Messiah. Okay. 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 Somebody else? Okay, so lineage was very, very important in their culture. (laughs) Okay. Okay, establishes royalty. Okay. You guys are coming up with some great stuff here. Okay, okay. So 14 three times, okay. I'll, I'll speak to that in just a moment. There's some, something important you need to know about that. Someone else I heard. Oh, okay. 
Yeah. 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 That we see this awesome plan of God. This isn't just a random happening of events, but, but God is in this from beginning to end, and nothing is catching God by surprise in the middle of all this. Carolyn. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So Abraham and uh, and particularly the promise made to Abraham, and we're, we're going to touch base on that a little bit. Somebody else? Mary? All right. That's fantastic. Uh, so we, we see it, it's not, you know, it's not a squeaky clean uh, lineage. There's a lot of brokenness in, in this uh, in, in this genealogy. Sandra, I saw your hand up. Okay. Okay. That is fantastic. Great, uh, great uh, observations. And, and we're gonna. I'm gonna speak to that momentarily. Someone else. You guys are coming up with fantastic stuff. You are. Uh, you're very attentive to what the text is saying, and you're you're seeing some things that are very very important that are easy for us to just skim over, and not really pay attention to. And, and if we're not careful, we might miss something that's really powerful for our lives. Sharon. Yes, yes, yes. So uh, this is hugely, hugely important in the theme of Matthew because Matthew was a gospel that was written primarily to a Jewish audience. And yet what part of what Matthew is trying to show us is the universality of the gospel, meaning that it's for all peoples of all nations. In fact, four, not including Mary, but the other four, a lot of Bible scholars, Bible teachers, we know for, for a fact that three of them definitely were Gentiles. A lot of people believe that, that, that Bathsheba was a Gentile as well. Many, many Bible scholars believe that she was a Hittite because she was married to Uriah the Hittite. And uh, we can't establish that as a fact, but it's certainly a very, very real possibility. But we do know the others are. So that's really, really good. Anybody else? Sandra? Okay, yeah, that's pretty, uh, that's significant, isn't it? Yeah, that's fantastic. Thank you, Sandra. Somebody else? All right, so real quick, uh, what I want to do is I want to I I make a couple of comments to you here. Part of what Matthew is doing is he's tracing the genealogy and the origins of Jesus, not just back to certain people, but the two covenants, okay? So, for example, one of the covenants is he, it draws him, he, 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 he goes all the way back to David, and then he goes all the way back to Abraham. And with Abraham, one of the first things that we do when we read the story of Abraham is that God makes a covenant with Abraham, doesn't he, Carolyn? Yeah. And he makes this promise. And his promise is this, is that through you, God says to Abraham, God says to Abraham, through you, you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You understand that ultimately that's only fulfilled through the person of Jesus? It is through Jesus that all, in fact, the, the gospels we continue through is we see that Jesus says, go therefore make disciples of all the nations. It's through uh, 
Jesus that God's promise to Abraham is ultimately is, is ultimately fulfilled. Also, what we see in, 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 in this uh, genealogy is he goes back to David. He goes back to David. And when he goes back to David, again, it's a, it's a second covenant that God makes. And if you go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7, you read about the covenant that God made with, with David. And the covenant that God made with David was to give David an everlasting throne. And ultimately, through Jesus, the everlasting king of kings and lord of lords, that that throne and that promise to David is fulfilled in the person of Jesus. So he does that for us. When we look at verse 17, and this is one that a lot of us get hung up on. When I say us, I mean me. Uh, and, and a lot of us get hung up on because we, we look and we say, well, you know, you see 14 generations, 14 generations, 14 generations. By the way, there are more than 14 generations. There are more than 14 generations, and there are more than 14 generations. If you go back and read your Old Testament, like I've been reading recently back through First and Second Chronicles, there are actually more generations than 14, 14, and 14. See, the way we think, and we've got to quit thinking the way we think, and we've got to think like in ancient Hebrew. This is a problem a lot of us have. We come into the text thinking like Americans, meaning that it's got to be a comprehensive uh, list of every single person in the genealogy. That's not the way the Jews, that's not the way the Hebrews thought. Typically, when they would give you a genealogy, they would give you highlights. It's kind of like my messages. You wish I wouldn't give you everything. You wish I would give you highlights so as to not bore you with unnecessary detail. So part of what, what, what Matthew is doing is he's giving us the 14 in each of those three time periods drawing everything from Abraham to David to the deportation and exile to the time of Jesus. But he's doing something else here. Is we see this number 14, and so a lot of us ask this question, why 14? Why 14? A couple of different possibilities here, a couple of different possibilities. One of those is this. One of those is uh, that seven is the number of completion. According to, to Hebrews, to Jews, it's the number of completion. And so you have twice the number of completion with each of those time frames. So you have twice the, and, and that's a possibility. That's a possibility. The other possibility that I think is, I see this with more uh, scholars, more uh, theologians that they write about, is a lot more will write about that what you, you see is that, that uh, the, the numerical equivalent, okay, this seems odd to us because we don't establish a numerical equivalent for our letters, but the Hebrews did. And the numerical equivalent of the name of David, the consonants in David's name are four, six, and four. For those of you who are challenged in math, we'll ask the math professor, how much is 4, 6, and 4? 14! 14! And, and so then the name of David represents that number 14, and it's drawing everything back again to David. It's kind of an, an anchor in the middle of this genealogy going from Abraham to Jesus. So there's several different things that are happening here. But there's one thing, one thing that's happening in this genealogy that I think is significant and important. And I think it's significant and important because it's one that just really grips me. Uh, in, in most genealogies, in fact, if you read through all the genealogies in, in the Old Testament, I don't know that you'll ever see a woman's name in an actual genealogy. I don't think you ever see it. You don't see it in Luke's uh, genealogy either. So why does Matthew, why does Matthew 
choose to highlight women, and in particular, why does he highlight these women? That is hugely important. You can't, if you just blow through this and you're not looking at that, I think you miss something really, really important. You know, when the gospel comes to us, and when Matthew writes to us about the gospel, it is, I'm going to say it's, it's shrouded. It's shrouded. It's shrouded in a cloak of what appears to be shame and disgrace. That when Matthew writes to us the gospel and tells us the story of Jesus, it's shrouded by this cloak of shame and disgrace. You have a young man, a young woman, engaged to be married. By the way, engagement, betrothal in Jewish culture was a lot more. It was a lot more than simply, a lot more than simply being engaged in our culture. If I am engaged to joy, and in the, the time of our engagement, I discover that joy is pregnant, and I know I'm not the father because we've never been together, that's going to have a devastating impact on me. In Jewish culture, it was even more so. For them, engagement, or for them, betrothal was much more. In fact, if you were betrothed, you had to go through the formality of divorcing to separate. So for them, in betrothal, it was more than an engagement, but a little less than, than being husband and wife. You see, it was a period, a time period that they waited about a year before they would actually come together and consummate the marriage. Sounds like a strange custom to us, but it was what they practiced. And so what we see here is we see a young woman engaged to a man, and when she comes back to Nazareth after being away, visiting her relative Elizabeth, she comes back four months pregnant. Showing. See, she hasn't been anywhere around Joseph. And everybody, everybody in their village knows that. Do you see that? Folks, this is really important. Because if we blow past this, I think that, that, that if we don't understand the significance and importance of this, I think we might miss something that where God is wanting to speak to us. See, the gospel doesn't come to us with the squeaky clean. You know, sometimes the way we teach the Bible in Sunday school, it's like we, we, we you know, we'll, we'll tell the story of Noah's Ark and we focus on all the animals that God saved. What about, the, what about all the people who died? You know, sometimes we tell Bible stories, but we tell it in a cleaned up way that's not really even telling the story of the scripture. And sometimes we do that in, in, in adult church as well. And so what we see is when we read the gospel, we see uh, the gospel coming to us, the story of Jesus coming to us, shrouded with with, with shame and disgrace. But just shame and disgrace, it doesn't begin. It doesn't begin with Mary and Joseph. In fact, it doesn't even, it doesn't even begin with any of the four women who are mentioned in the lineage of Jesus. Now, all four of these women, there, there was a measure of shame and disgrace that was attached to their lives for different reasons. But the shame and disgrace begins with Abraham. Now, sometimes we tell the story of Abraham as a hero of the faith, and there are certain things that, that Abraham did that certainly were heroic in, in comparison to, to my life and, and maybe possibly to yours. But when we read the story of Abraham, this is what we read, is we read about a man who pimped out his wife. You know what it means to pimp out a woman? 
He pimped out his wife to Pharaoh. And you know what? He made a whole lot of money doing it. In fact, he did it again later with another guy named Abimelech. Uh, he also, on another occasion, he had sex. Yeah, I said that in church. He had sex, sexual intercourse, with a young girl, the slave girl of his wife. You see, there's, there's, there's a, there's, there is shame and disgrace there. And then later, with, we had this guy Judah and his, his daughter-in-law, Tamar, an incestuous relationship through whom two sons are born. There's incest in the genealogy of Jesus. There's incest. And not only that, remember, Judah's the guy, Judah's the guy who masterminded the plan and, and led his brothers in, in executing the plan to take Joseph and sell him as a slave into Egypt. Uh, we mentioned Tamar and attachment to Judah, and we get to, to Rahab. Rahab. Tamar, a Canaanite, has an incestuous relationship with her father-in-law. And then we have Rahab, a prostitute. A prostitute for a living, by trade. wonder how many women Rahab slept with. wonder how old she was the first time she slept with a, a man. I wonder. A Canaanite. People whose religion involved human sacrifice. We've got the story of Rahab and how she becomes a part of the community of God. That's grace, people. See, this is not just shame. It is grace. And then we read the story of, of, of David and Bathsheba and their adultery. And then David has Uriah killed. Yeah. He has uh, Uriah killed. You, you see, uh, in, in that the, the gospel comes to a shrouded in shame and disgrace. And I think in part... It comes to a shrouded and shame disgrace to show us that there's room in the gospel and there's room in the kingdom of God for people like Abraham. People like Judah, like Tamar, like Rahab. People like, like Ruth. I just kind of blew past Ruth. Ruth was a Moabite, an immoral people, a people who practiced human sacrifice and, and who, uh, who uh, also worshipped this god Chemosh, and who were the descendants of an incestuous union between Lot and his oldest daughter. You, you, you see that, that, that the Bible, that the gospel, the, the, the story of Jesus comes to a shrouded in shame and disgrace to show us that there's room in the gospel and there's room in God's grace for all kinds of people. Why would that be significant and important for Matthew? Matthew, a tax collector, a despised people. You see, there's room in the gospel uh, for people whose lives are shrouded in disgrace. People like Matthew, people like Abraham, David, people like you and people like me. See, the Christmas message is, is a message that there's, that's good news for not just some kinds of people, not just the people who grew up going to church all their lives and who never really did anything that bad. No. It's a message for all of us. There's room for us. There's room for us. Another thought I want to share with you this morning is this. 
And, and here is where the message takes a little bit different direction, but I think it's important. It's important for us to see that, yeah, the gospel comes to a shrouded in disgrace and shame. But I also think it's important to see to us the Messiah comes to us uh, through a virgin. Through a virgin. That, that, see, that, that the Messiah comes to us as one who is, uh, what does the Bible say? It says that, oh, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. And what we see here is, is the doctrine of the incarnation, is that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit but born of a virgin. And so some theologians call this the doctrine of the incarnation, or if you want to use bigger words, hypostatic union. But basically what that, both those terms mean is simply this, is that Jesus is true God and true man. He's true God and true man. Therefore, he is Jesus, which means Jehovah or the Lord saves. He is the Lord who saves, and he is what? Emmanuel, God with us. That Jesus is the Messiah, true God, true man, the perfect bridge between heaven and earth. You see, if it, it, you know, it's like the Golden Gate Bridge. We all understand this and know this here out on the West Coast, is that, that the Golden Gate Bridge, it can take you from San Francisco to Sausalito or Sausalito to San Francisco. Why? Because it starts in San Francisco, and it ends in Sausalito, or starts in Sausalito and ends in San Francisco, however you want to look at it. But it's the perfect bridge. It's not just, it's not, if it was only, only anchored in Sausalito, it wouldn't be a bridge. If it were only anchored in, in San Francisco, it wouldn't be a bridge. And if Jesus were only true God, there'd be no bridge between heaven and earth. If he were only true man, there'd be no bridge between heaven and earth. But what makes Jesus unique from every other quote-unquote founder of any religion is that he's true God, true man, the Lord who saves, God with us, God with us, Emmanuel. Why is that important for us? Why is it important for us that, that Jesus is the Lord who saves, that he is Emmanuel? And here I just want to share with you a little story this week that, that happened with me, and then we'll, we'll pray. We'll pray, and then we'll worship God with our giving and with another song here. But... Um, I don't know if any of you ever feel anxious. Anybody ever feel anxious? I do. Okay, a couple of us. I don't know if when you feel anxious, if you ever have difficulty sleeping. Anybody have that experience? And so this week I had several sleepless nights. Not just one sleepless night, but I had several sleepless nights this week. And, and so in the middle of the week, I was just, I mean, I just, I wasn't sleeping. I was, wake, I was going to bed at 11, waking up at 1, waking up at 3. Waking up and, and just I was never really getting to sleep and and, and so I, I think it was Wednesday morning but I, I got up and I just began to or maybe it was Thursday morning but anyway I got up and in my journal I just began to write out some things that that I was feeling things that I'd been feeling this week but I'd never really sat down and thought about what I was feeling or thought about what I was thinking and so in my journal I began to write out these things that I was feeling anxious about. And I began to write it out in the form of a prayer to God. And at the end of my, my praying, or excuse me, my, well, praying, writing, listening, whatever you want to call it. I mean, I think I was in a, a spirit of prayer as I was doing it. But I, I, I got to it, and then I just, I kind of, I had it all there. It was just there. It was kind of like throwing up, you know, you're done, all right? You know? 
I, I was done. I was done. I set my pen down. And I had this posture, not intentional, but just a posture of quiet and listening. And as I was sitting there having kind of, you know, vomited out what I was feeling to God, I, uh, I felt like I heard a voice. I heard a voice. I heard a vo- it wasn't an audible voice, but it was a very distinct and clear voice. It was a voice that came from the scriptures. It was not a text that I was meditating on. It was not a text that I have read in recent weeks or months that I can recall. But suddenly, I just heard these words, more like an impression than a voice, but I, I, I heard these words, be still and know that I'm God. And when I, I, I heard those words, it kind of reminded me immediately a while back, I was, I was at a conference with this guy who's a seminary professor, and he says, when you read the scriptures, it gives vo- vocabulary to the Holy Spirit. Meaning this, you don't really hear from God if you're not listening to the scriptures. And the more you're in the scriptures, the more you give that vocabulary to the Holy Spirit to speak to you in moments like this. And in that moment, And I thought, wow, you know what? I've just got to go back and I've got to look at that scripture. And I opened up my Bible and I opened up the Psalm. I had to Google it because I couldn't remember right right off the top of my head where it was at. But it was in in Psalm 46. In Psalm 46. And I'm not going to read the whole Psalm to you. But I just want to read because I wanted to look at the context of be still and know that I'm God. I wanted to know what's the context of Jesus speaking there. And this is, what Jesus, this, this is what God says in Psalm 46. It says this. It says, God is our refuge and strength. He's our refuge. He's a place of, of hiding and safety. God is our refuge and strength. And ever, listen to this, ever present. Circle that word. Present. Because who is Jesus? Emmanuel, God with us. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. I mean, we're talking about a complete collapse of the economy. A complete collapse of social order. A complete collapse of everything. We're talking about disaster on a huge scale. We're talking about, we're talking about disaster on a catastrophic scale. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. The mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Though its waters roar and foam, and the mountains quake with their surging. And suddenly, I begin to think about my problems, and I thought, well, my problems aren't quite that catastrophic. And then I read these words. The Lord Almighty is with us. With us. With is a very important word when you connect it between God and you. God is with us. Emmanuel. Uh, The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Verse 10, uh, he says, God says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And it says again, the Lord Almighty is with us. You see those words? The God of Jacob is our fortress. 
Now, folks, um, what I want to share with you, and, and this is maybe less like a sermon and more just like a reflections, but I felt like it was something I was supposed to share with you today. Is that I don't know what you're going through right now. I don't know if maybe right now the earth is giving way, if the mountains are collapsing around you, if the, 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 the sea is, is uh, you know, like a, a roar, a foam. I don't know if you feel like your life is completely falling apart or not. But the message of Christmas is this. God is with us. The message of Christmas is God is with us. He is the Lord who saves, and he is God with us. Let's pray and worship God together. God, today, we want to praise you. We want to thank you. We want to worship you because you are, you are transcendent, meaning that you are great and awesome and, and, and that nothing is beyond you. You are, you are the God who holds the entire universe in the span of your hand. You are the God who spoke the word and in and, a and hundred billion trillion stars were created. You are the God of all creation. You are the, the God who gives life to every living creature. You are the righteous judge of the, of the universe and you are righteous in all of your judgments. You are holy, holy, holy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God, you are full of grace and mercy, and you are a God who saves. And you are a transcendent God, but you are also a God who is imminent. You are near. You are with us. And today, we want to praise you, and we want to worship you. And God, I pray that you would help us to learn how to just enjoy and to bask in your presence and to live the message of Christmas uh, all year long. The message of Christmas that, that you are the Lord who saves. You are the God who is with us. I pray this in Christ's name and for your glory. Amen.